Coming up on this week's Celtics Talk podcast, it's the 55th anniversary of Havlicek Steals the Ball. I'm going to go back and play an interview I did with Tommy Heinsohn, relive that moment, and relive Havlicek's career. That's all coming up on the Celtics Talk podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to a special edition of the Celtics Talk podcast. Chris Forsberg here in quarantine land. This today would have been the 55th anniversary of Havlicek stole the ball, the epic play at the end of the Celtics Sixers series in 1965, helped the Celtics advance to the NBA Finals. They would go on and beat the Los Angeles Lakers 4-1. For me, even though I'm younger, I think you feel like everyone, because of that call, has become so famous. Havlicek stole the ball. Havlicek stole the ball. Johnny Most, and it's famous. Everyone feels like they lived through it. It's one of the most iconic moments in radio broadcasting history and really broadcasting in general. Uh, It's fun to go back and watch the play now. The NBA put up a video back, and I think in 2011, if you go watch it, you know, Havlicek was originally drafted as a tight end by the Browns. You can show it goes up and uses those skills to knock the ball away. It's actually Sam Jones who gets the ball, races the other way with it. And if you want to have some fun, watch the clip. There's a fan who storms the court. And I know Havlicek was the most famous steal of the ball, but watch it. The, the final shot, Havlicek takes one and bounces back. The fan grabs the ball, recognizing that he has a piece of history, tries to beeline it off the court with the ball, bounces into like all the other people storming the court. It's a fun little moment. Uh, but I'll admit, I didn't know a whole lot about John Havlicek's career. You know, he, he's so fascinating to me because he comes in at the start or, or, or with Bill Russell at the start of his career, helps those 60s teams to a bunch of titles, bridges the gap in the 70s, wins more, and then is there to sort of pass the baton to Larry Bird. We were putting together our top small forwards list of all time for NBCSportsBoston.com last week. And I actually called Danny Ainge and said, like, Danny, help me out here. Like, I grew up with Paul Pierce. Like, I'm kind of probably gravitate more towards him in terms of, you know, one of the best in Celtics history. And I was a kid when Larry Bird was around. So, like, how do I rank these three, these three iconic Celtics? And Danny was pretty adamant that Hondo deserved that number two spot. Havlicek, second, the, the leading scorer in Celtics history and all the games he played and the unlimited energy and all that he did, especially without necessarily – the great supporting cast around him there in the 70s. So it's fascinating to learn about Hondo. And unfortunately, when when Havlicek passed away last year, I got a chance to sit down with Tommy Heinsohn and learn, again, a lot more about the man, this quiet Midwest kid who comes in and, you know, they've got to sort of teach him a little bit about basketball. He had this unlimited energy, but Tommy joked, like, we came in, he couldn't even shoot the basketball. And for the guy to go on to be the leading scorer in Celtics history says a lot about the way Havlicek improved his game in all the amazing athleticism that he had. So let's get into that interview. Sat down with Tommy Heinsohn, coached him. It was fascinating to learn a little bit more about the man, John Havlicek. When I bring up the name John Havlicek, what's the first thing that jumps to mind? Uh, A great, great athlete uh, who uh, was a marvel to doctors at uh, Harvard Medical School who did a study about his heart rate uh, while he was playing, okay? And they never saw anything like it. So he, he was a great athlete. And the second thing I think about him is 
how focused he could be on what he wanted to do. Let's roll it back to the beginning. So he was drafted by the Browns. You were telling me he came in. He, no, he was, he was a great receiver, but how were his basketball skills? Well, it showed up in basketball because at that point we were probably, I shouldn't say probably, we were the best up-tempo team, fast-break team in the league. Because we had Russell rebounding and me rebounding and uh, uh, Kuzi making the passes. And Kuzi had this hook pass, three-quarter length hook pass uh, on the go. And Havlicek was the perfect guy uh, to play on a fast break team. And he was one of Kuzi's favorite targets. I think his rookie year, he averaged like 14 points a game. And uh, I don't think he took a shot for more than 10 feet. and he had this one shot that still amazes me. And, and he won in the triple overtime game against Phoenix that I coached. He made that game to um, go ahead uh, at the very end, like a 10, 12-foot leaner off the backboard going full speed. Never saw anybody make that shot or even attempt to make it. But he had a down pat. And so he was a perfect player for Kuzi to play with. But the second year he showed up, he had uh, an outside shot. He learned to dribble, uh, and he became an effective. He always was a a very good defensive player. That's one of the reasons why Red drafted him, because uh, he had seen him on the Ohio State team, and he was an unheralded player on the Ohio State team. But uh, you could see he was a great athlete. So uh, when he came to the Celtics, um, I mean, he was green as grass. Uh, he was my roommate. And uh, they designated me to be his roommate. And uh, he, was, he was a real guy from the Midwest. That's all I can tell you. He had Midwest values. <laughs> and I had to liven him up a little bit. <laughs> what were your first impressions of him? How long did it take to break him in? Well, uh, th- when we were uh, the first year as a player, if you were going to play in a lineup, Red would never yell at you. He, he, he barely talked to you. Just go out and do it. And John, who had a, you know, a great rookie year, um, uh, nobody ever said boo to him, Red in particular. First game of his second season at halftime, uh, he come into the locker room, and Red Auerbach's all over his case. I mean, uh, Havlicek didn't do anything right, according to uh, Red Auerbach. And Havlicek was such a sincere person, he took it to heart. I mean, he all of a sudden his, his bubble burst, and Red burst it. Uh, and we're walking out to the floor, and John's head is down in the whole bit. And I, I, I grabbed him, and I said, John, relax, relax. All he's doing, he's yelling at you. All he's doing is letting you know you're not a rookie anymore. You've got to shape up. Go play the game. And he did. And if, uh, but that's how Red uh, did things. And John, nobody ever yelled at, at, at Havlicek because he was such a focused person at what he did. When he played for me uh, when I was coaching, uh, he was so focused, I don't think he knew the Vietnam War was going on. I mean, basketball was everything to him. And winning uh, was, was a big deal. Uh, I mean, he, his whole life was what he did. 
you said he couldn't shoot when he came in that first year. Why was he able to make such great strides? And like, do you think it was just his work ethic that first off season, or just putting more well, of a sure, focus on basketball? I'm sure. He, I mean, he's such a great athlete. Uh, I'm sure he worked on it all summer. He came back and he's hitting the outside shot and he's putting it on the floor. And, and uh, I mean, it was an amazing transformation. What was it like to coach John Havlicek? John Havlicek, you knew he was focused. You didn't have to go and, and tell him, a, a, give him a Newt Rockney story, you know. Uh, in fact, any of the guys I coached. Uh, but Havlicek relished winning. And uh, uh, he was the star of the team that I coached. He and uh, Dave Cowens, both of them were unusual players. Uh, Havlicek... Uh, carried the team offensively. He was the backbone of the offense, uh, and he uh, he virtually made all the big plays. And uh, uh, defensively, I can remember the first time we played a preseason game against uh, the uh, uh, New York Nets with uh, Dr. J. And the first four times Dr. J tried to drive on him, Havlicek stole the ball off him. So. Uh, you know, we're raving about Dr. J, and I said, wow, Havlicek's got his number. Take me to the 1974 finals, I believe it was. Game seven, I heard you made some certain uh, coaching changes in terms of how you wanted Havlicek to perform that game. Well, we had played uh, the bigger team with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robinson. Uh, unlike any of the other teams that played Milwaukee. Uh, most of the teams doubled Kareem, and they had a whole, I mean, they were so used to that situation. Uh, and they, they, they had so many ways to really win a game when you did that. I, I determined to do something new, and we did it during the regular season. Uh, we played them one up. And Dave Cowens, who was 6'8", had a guard, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and we set up a defense uh, to uh, make Kareem come out a couple of extra steps, deny where they like to pass him the ball. And um, uh, we, we were sec uh, successful. We pressed him in the backcourt. Havlicek was so important in that because he was a forward. And um, more often than not, they would use his man to bring the ball up. So he was a double-duty guy, offense and, and defense. And... Um, uh, when we got to the final game, after being uh, after losing at the Garden in an overtime game, uh, everybody was kind of discouraged. And I, w I went to the office with my assistant coach and Bob Cousy, and we we're talking about the game. And and uh, uh, Cousy said to me, "You know, uh, I don't know why you don't double team him." And I said, well, Coos, number one, uh, nobody else uh, plays them like we have, and here we are in the seventh game. <laughs> I think it's working fairly well. Uh, and, um, but the coaching, the changes that the other team made, uh, I mean, every, everything that you did was countered the next game you played. So uh, I, I determined after many years as a player to try and find a way to take the crowd out of the game. And uh, when one day, we lost on a Friday, had practice on Saturday, a drill session, and then we played on Sunday. And Saturday, I changed the defense. 
and doubled Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And the reason I doubled him is not because I believed the strategy was the way to beat him, but I recognized potentially that we could get off to a good start because they'd be totally confused at what we were doing. And it worked out that we got 17 points up. And the defense was the aspect that won. Uh, Havlicek, who had been our big scorer, uh, I don't remember exactly who ended up the big scorer, but we got 17 points up and we virtually cruised to the seventh game win on the road. And Havlicek uh, uh, was asked to do, to stand down in essence. And so was Dave Cowens. And we used, uh, and the other guys really played great. And uh, I can remember saying to the players, we're going to give Cornell Warner the chance to make the Hall of Fame. Because we were going to use his man to uh, get in front of Kareem so he couldn't get the ball. So do you essentially made Havlicek a decoy in that game seven? How that conversation? Well, they, they counted. They knew he was our big right. scorer. And uh, I mean, we had a certain way to play uh, guys with big centers to try and make the big center come out and have to play a, a knee-bending defense, which none of them at that point liked to do, and particularly Kareem. And uh, so Cowens was going to have the ball a lot and, uh, and draw their big guy out so that we could drive to the basket. So Cowens was handling the ball probably more than uh, we, we would do and uh, uh, so Havlicek fed off of that, uh, of what Cowens was uh, providing. Where does Havlicek rank in the pantheon of Celtics greats? Is he undervalued? We put such a focus on the early generation. Does, does he get lost a little bit in, the, in that middle generation? Well, that whole team gets lost. <laughs> uh, and uh, here we were, the smallest team in the league. And we ended up winning two titles. And I just found out doing the broadcast a couple of years ago that uh, the 73 uh, uh, team, uh, where we won 68 and lost 14, which is still the Celtics record, uh, was uh, uh, that team had the greatest margin of difference in rebounds. Uh, like we were plus eight in rebounds for the season and nobody's even come close as I understand it. So here we are, the smallest team, and we're doing unusual things to win. And they wrote a book about us, uh, 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 Don't You Ever Stop Running? And that's what we did. And Havlicek was so important in that because of his great athletic ability. I mean, he was a nonstop standstill. I mean, he never stood still. He was moving all the time. You started to tell me about the study they did on him. What was that, and why was he able to, to maintain that? athletic ability run so much and, and, and do that. Well, that's why they did the study at, uh, at, at Mass General because uh, it was so phenomenal. He played a lot of minutes and he never stopped. Uh, I mean, it, I know I played the position that he was playing. And let me tell you something, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Uh, and uh, I, I totally recognized how unusual he was uh, because of his ability to, I mean, he put the pressure on whoever defended him. A smart player, uh, executed to perfection. He knew, uh, I mean, he would come up to me when I was coaching and he'd say, Tommy, on this such and such play, Dave Collins is two inches to the left. He should be two inches more to the, to the right. 
And I mean, he was that precise. Uh, so he had everything down pat. And uh, it, when he got into a ball game, he, he was very calm. And uh, he'd just go out there and, like Bill Russell would growl at you and intimidate you by staring at you. Havlicek just go out there nonchalant and play the game. Havlicek stole the ball. What do you remember from that moment? Well, I was in that game, and uh, uh, Bill Russell made a boo-boo. He hit the guy wire trying to inbound the ball, and uh, if he gets the ball inbounds, more than likely we got to win. Uh, but it turned the ball over, so Philadelphia with Will Chamberlain has a chance to beat us. Uh, it was a one-point game at that uh, juncture, and uh, they called timeout, and uh, Russell got in a huddle and said, boy, did I screw up. Somebody get me off the hook. And uh, we broke, went out there, and Havlicek, uh, uh, as smart a defender as he was, uh, said to me and said to everybody afterwards that uh, uh, he was counting one, two, three, four. And on four, he went to look for the ball and it was there. So, uh, I mean, that's how, you know, precise he was in defending. He made this great play, you know, tipped it over to Sam Jones and uh, we beat Wilt. What should his legacy be? For John Havlicek. Well, he's uh, still the all-time leading scorer, isn't he, with the Celtics? Yeah. And uh, justifiably so. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, he gets lost in uh, the, the, the brouhaha over the big three. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he was a, a, a sixth man on the 60s, the 50s, and 60s type teams. He came in 62. So, uh, uh he really became a star when I was coaching, you know, a total star where uh, uh, he, he was all pro and all defense or whatever he was all the time. He's that exceptional a player. And for him to be not recognized for that, I mean, everybody's still going gaga about Larry Bird. He was a great, great player. But John Havlicek, <laughs> I have a tough time beating him. Any other moments from his career that stand out to you? Anything that you reflect on with, with John Havlicek? Well, you always look to Havlicek stole the ball as a, a, a big moment. Uh, but let's go back to what we were talking about a little bit about um, uh, uh, winning against Milwaukee where he was a decoy. Now, here's the star of the team, and you're asking him to be a decoy. I mean, most guys wouldn't want to do that. But that's the type of person that he was, that he, he would give it a try because uh, you asked him to do it. And, um, I mean, he'd never fight you on anything. He'd, he'd talk to you about it. He may not like what you were doing. He'd talk to you about it. But uh, you could convince him to give it a go. And for, in the seventh game of the playoffs on the road, I'm asking him to be a decoy. And he accepts that. Okay. That's a big-time player with a big-time pro attitude. What was the biggest difference between being his teammate and being his coach, and was that a difficult transition at all? Well, when we were players together, I introduced him to Lance's wine. Uh, when I coached him, I never went and I had a, a glass of wine with him anymore. <laughs> but when I got the job, I. I we had a bunch of young guys like Cheney was going to be his second year, JoJo, and then Cowens. 
And I would say uh, uh, to, the, to the vets, that uh, particular guy like Havelcheck, you can say anything you want if you think you're helping some of these young guys. But all I ask you to do is don't yell at them. And uh, they jumped in, and that's what they did. They, of course, when I was a player, that's what Red Auerbach uh, instilled in, in us. Uh, uh, you, I was asked many times to uh, uh, pull apart a guy's game, like uh, Mel Counts. And Red would say, why can't he rebound? Why can't he hold on a ball? And I said, well, he's not holding his hands right. Well, you go work with him. So I worked with a lot of rookie players and new players. And that's what the, the, uh, the guys did. They were training guys to take their jobs. And that's unusual. So it carried over to this group that I was coaching. They understood that. And they wholeheartedly uh, went and helped me. After his playing days, did you ever cross paths with Havlicek? And what do you think his post-basketball legacy? Uh... Well, uh, John Havlicek, uh, uh, I'll bet you he had the first nickel he ever made, all right? I mean, uh, I don't think he ever paid for when we went out, okay? <laughs> but uh, he, uh, he more or less was a PR person. He did have some franchises, uh, Wendy franchises, uh, uh, with Larry Fleischer, the head of the Players Union down in uh, uh, Westchester, New York. And uh, he was a rep for a couple of different companies, a sales rep. Uh, so uh, John was a, an affable guy. I mean, everybody loved to be around John. Uh, it wasn't that he was telling jokes, but he was such a sincere person. You wanted, uh, you loved being around him. And uh, that's what he did. And his lovely wife, Beth, um, uh, helped him uh, learn to uh, be a society person, to be out and, and blend with people. And, um, you know, they had homes down in, in Florida. And, uh, uh, he, he had a place down at Hyannis, uh, right near the Kennedys, a member of that golf course that the Kennedys belonged to. And he lived in Weston. And I guess he would go home to Columbus every once in a while, too. And he did a lot of traveling for the PR stuff. So uh, I would see him uh, at golf tournaments every now and then. And he'd show up uh, at games here or there. But he is off living his life mostly. Hey there, it's Tom Haberstroh, your national NBA insider for NBC Sports and host of the Haberstroh podcast. This week's guest is NBA champion Shane Battier, who joins the show to talk about being the on-court nemesis of the late Kobe Bryant and the mind games that the two shared with each other. At one point, I think he had, at the end of the third quarter, we had 58 and Kobe 56. No. You will not want to miss this. So download The Haber Show wherever you listen to podcasts. So there you have it. John Havlicek would have been 80 years old earlier this month, would have celebrated his 80th birthday. But just a fascinating player to learn about, uh, again, to just find out how much uh, – he impacted the Celtics during those, that middle seventies grade. That's sort of that, I call it the lost era where, you know, again, the Russell and bird, and there's so much history with this program, but Havlicek really carried that torch through the seventies. It was fun to hear Tommy reflect on him uh, and all that he meant to this program. Now we're running down a bunch of these lists on our website, NBC sports, and in the, my teams app, we're ranking all of our 
Celtics by positions, the top tens. We're going to get into the trades, the best trades, the worst trades, like you heard us talk about last week with Mike Gorman. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. We did our top five on that. We're going to run it a top 10 online this week as well for our favorite trades of all time. We're going to have a lot more fun stuff coming up out there. But uh, as always, like, subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you check us out on YouTube. Subscribe there as well. And we'll catch you next week on the Celtics Talk Podcast.